You should have seen me at the airport. I looked like a package monster. The place was was like an artist's palette of color. It was enough to raise the hair on the back of my neck. We it's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's always a pleasure for me to be with you every time that you choose to bring these stories into your home and into your heart. And we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories for you that you can share with the people that you love. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. And this hour, we're going to bring you a story about wolves. Wolves are often seen in one of two ways. Either they're noble, beautiful, family-oriented animals, or they're savage beasts bent on terrorizing villages and individuals and little girls in red riding hoods, right? In reality, they're neither. Or both, maybe, or all kinds of things. Mostly they're just trying to survive. Like many things, understanding them can be challenging and rewarding. And we're going to start our hour today with a story about wolves told by Pete Griffin. And you're going to hear stories from Sid Lieberman and Simon Brooks and a story from the great storyteller Diane Ferlat as well later on in the hour. But uh, first, what do you get when you combine a wildlife biologist with the ability to entertain as a storyteller? Well, you get Pete Griffin. After working for the Forest Service for many years, uh, he certainly knows a thing or two about nature. Nature. He combines the knowledge of nature with great storytelling to create enriching tales that help you learn as much as you have fun. And his voice is just great to listen to as well. Today we get to hear a story from him about some wolves that moved into an area where he worked. And they needed to count how many there were so they could properly manage them. And to do this was a bit of an issue until another biologist had an idea what was that idea? Well, listen to Pete Griffin with his story, Talks with Wolves, here on The Appleseed. A friend and I were pulling Dungeness crab pots in a remote bay near Ketchikan, Alaska, on one of those fall days when a cold, rainy drizzle turns into ice pellets. We stacked the pots in the skiff and debated whether or not to make the 20-mile run back home in the sleet with our bucket of crabs or to go ashore and build a fire. As we sat in the skiff discussing the situation, we heard a low moan come from the woods, a, a moan that rose in volume, continuing for about ten seconds. Norm and I looked at each other and grinned. We had just heard a wolf howl. They say wolves howl as a means of communicating with other wolves, Nobody has ever interviewed the wolves to ask them why. It seems like howling is a way for packs to call each other to the site of a kill, or a way for wolves to bond together, or a way for one wolf pack to let the others know about territorial boundaries. But I learned that this tendency to howl is useful in another way. As a wildlife biologist, I transferred from the Huron-Manistee National Forest in Michigan to the Chippewa National Forest in northern Minnesota in 1987. There I had responsibilities for wildlife recreation and fire. Unlike Michigan, there were wolves on the Chippewa. There was a pack to the north that expanded its range onto my district each winter in search of food. We would see occasional wolf tracks out in the woods and every once in a while hear about a wolf sighting. Employees would report to me that 
They'd seen one of my wolves. When our district reorganized how work was going to be accomplished, I suggested that we hire a new full-time wildlife biologist to work with the folks in timber management. I'd found out there was far more work than I could reasonably do well. Because timber cutting had the greatest effect on wildlife habitat, I figured we needed a full-time biologist working directly with the forester on the district. I was willing to give up that role for which I'd been schooled and trained in order for the district to improve its wildlife management program. So we hired Paul, a young man with a Ph.D. in wildlife who had extensive experience outside the agency. After a couple of years, we started getting regular reports of wolf sightings during the summer and more frequent stories about pets disappearing from backyards. We needed to find a way to take stock of the wolf population, so our new biologist, Paul, devised a howling survey to locate wolf packs. It wasn't a one-man job. It was going to take a lot of help. Now, the way he went about this was to take our folks to the International Wolf Center in Ely, Minnesota, to be trained in the art of howling. All of our employees, foresters, recreation managers, timber sale administrators, business managers, and even the district ranger learned how to howl and how to interpret wolf howls they might receive in return. On a late summer evening, small teams of employees fanned out across a district to predetermined locations. Well after dark, we would throw back our heads, cup our hands around our mouths, and cut loose with howls. Not Hollywood movie wolf howls, but a less musical effort. A long, loud monotone. Followed by two more howls just like the first, then we would wait for answers. If we heard nothing for several minutes, we would repeat ourselves and wait again. If we heard nothing after the second howl, we would go on to the next stop on our planned route. To tell you the truth, I was a bit skeptical. After my first two stops, there was no response. At the third, my companion and I howled once, twice, and then from the dark woods at the end of the gravel road, only a hundred yards away, came an answer. A howl from a wolf, then quickly joined by a second. It was enough to raise the hair on the back of my neck. In the wee hours of the morning, we gathered to compare results. That night, our crews had heard four or five wolf packs. They were enthused, especially our employees in timber management who had never before been asked to help in the wildlife program. One of them described being on a darkened lake shore at midnight in the hot, humid night air, not a breath of wind surrounded by the steady drone of mosquitoes. On the far side of the lake, from a small community in the Leech Lake Indian Reservation, the beat of the drums from a Chippewa tribe celebration drifted in. The crew howled, and wolves howled back at them. Our folks felt like they'd been sent back in time 200 years to the dawn of the 19th century when voyageurs paddled the waters of Indian country, trapping and trading with the Chippewa people. Howling for wolves was an unforgettable experience for us that night. I learned a couple of things. I had given up being the wildlife biologist, something I loved doing, and 
turned it over to another person. But Paul had come up with a project that I was unlikely to have initiated. He had drawn all of our employees into the effort, and in doing so, they were no longer the wildlife biologist's wolves, they were our wolves. And it also made me realize that if the Forest Service was going to manage ecosystems, we couldn't parcel out pieces of the forest management program exclusively to any one set of resource specialists. The wolves didn't care whether it was a forester, a wildlife biologist, or an engineer who was hauling at them. Our goal was the understanding that every one of us was responsible for the whole ecosystem and not just one part. We had taken the first big step toward achieving that goal. It's interesting what you can learn from talking to wolves. Interesting indeed. And I always think I'd love to sing in a choir where Pete Griffin is singing bass. What a great voice to listen to. Pete Griffin with the story Talks with Wolves about how he and his co-workers learned to speak wolf. Well, up next, a story from Sid Lieberman. Sid grew up in Chicago, and he claims that both his parents were incredible storytellers who both used quite different approaches to the art. He didn't become a professional storyteller until after he graduated from Harvard and began teaching English. And in this story, he describes a trip to Israel. When he decided to go, everyone around him caught wind of his trip and decided to use him as a mail carrier. If you've ever traveled somewhere far away and people find out about it, you may have experienced that. People wanting you to take packages to people that they know and love and can't often visit. Well, here's Sid Lieberman on The Appleseed. looking at me. You think I should be smiling at you, right? I just got back from Israel. I should be showing you snapshots. I got news for you. You go to Israel, it's nothing but tsuris, nothing but trouble. You know what happens when you go to Israel? You become a Jewish mailman. Yeah, you're smiling, because yeah, you know it's true. As soon as people got a whiff of a rumor I was going, the whole population of Skokie descended upon me. I'll tell you what it was like. An old woman comes in, she looks like a grandmother, she's telling me about her children, she's telling me about her grandchildren, she's telling me about her aches and her pains. Finally, she gets to the point, she says, please, you'll take with you a, a little pecola, you know, a little package. Well, can you say no to a grandmother? You can't say no. I said, okay. She ran to the window, she gave a high sign. <laughs> in came another grandson with a little pecola. <laughs> it, was, it was this big, it was a picnic basket. I'll tell you what was in it. Two salamis, one hard, one soft. She didn't know what her grandson liked. Six Chalice, some with poppy seeds, some with sesame seeds, a dozen bagels, six bottles of homemade wine that her husband had put up, six jars of preserves she had put up from the grapes in the backyard. There was stuff for gnashing, pistachio nuts, a bag, sucking candies, peppermint, that's what he liked, Nestle's chocolate chips, two dozen pair of socks, a dozen pair of underwear, and a dozen roll of toilet paper. <laughs> she said to me he shouldn't have to wipe with something he could write a letter on. 
No sooner did she leave than in came a man with a big suitcase. He threw it up on the table. He said, please, take it from me. My niece, she's getting married. She needs it. It's, please, it's a mitzvah. You know, it's a good deed. Please take it. So I could say no to a mitzvah. I couldn't. I said, okay. He leaves. A man comes in with a little box. He says, please. My son, he's got a new job over there. He needs this. Please, it's so little. Take it. You know, I took it. almost went through the floor. <laughs> His son became an electrician. These were the tools. <laughs> Well, box after box after box, my house looked like the Grand Central Station, the baggage depot. You should have seen me at the airport. I looked like a package monster. I had packages hanging around my neck with ropes. I had packages under my arms. I had packages in my backpack. I had three skycaps behind me looking like my tail carrying packages. <laughs> I checked it all except for the peckler with the glass. Now, I was a little worried something would break, so I took that onto the plane with me. I lifted it up. You almost got a hernia putting it in. Ugh. By the time I sat down, all I wanted was to go to sleep. I didn't care about anything, and I fell right to sleep. And I was dreaming it was raining. When the guy next to me tapped me, he said, hey, I think something's leaking. I looked up, I got it right in the eye. It was the wine, the cork had come out of a bottle, the wine was spilling. I jumped up, I opened the compartment, I reached in, all of a sudden I heard a bang, and another bang. The corks were popping out. Somebody yells, he's got a gun. <laughs> Somebody else yells, there's a bomb. Women are screaming. Students are throwing food in the air. Uh, a man comes up behind me, grabs me around the throat. Another gives me a touch like this. I went down. Uh, what a trip. The kicker, when we got to Israel, they lost my bags. I'm sitting out in front of the airport. It begins to rain. The labels begin to run. I don't know who to deliver what to. They're calling me Ghana at home thief. They want to beat me up, to send me to jail. I tell you, go to Israel, it's nothing but Suris. It's nothing but packaged Suris. Sid Lieberman here on The Appleseed with a story about all the trouble that trying to deliver packages can bring. Again, maybe you've had that experience. You're traveling to a faraway place. People know you're going, and they have friends or loved ones who are in that faraway place, and they don't often get to visit them, so they load you up with deliveries expressions of their love, but maybe an inconvenience to you. If something like that has happened to you, we encourage you to share those stories with the people that you love. Or reach out to us. We love to hear from you at theappleseed at byu.edu. Again, that's theappleseed at byu.edu. We're going to bring you a story from Simon Brooks in just a moment, a tale called The Goat from the Hills and Mountains. You won't want to miss it. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard a story from Sid Lieberman about being loaded up with packages to deliver when he takes a trip to Israel. And we started off the hour with a story from Pete Griffin, who talked about learning to speak with the wolves. We've got a lot coming up. You're going to hear a story from Simon Brooks. You'll hear a conversation with Cole Wissinger, a frequent guest here on The Appleseed, who will talk about a favorite film. 
film, and you're going to hear The Talking Eggs, an old story told for you by the great storyteller Diane Ferlat. But first, you know, we say it all the time, but it's true. We hope that the stories that we bring you here on the program find you awash in memories that you can share with the people that you love. Happens to us all the time. How about an entry in the Radio Family Journal? The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Here's a story that comes from a time when we could all get in the same room together. A busy, busy time it was in that season. It was that way for everybody, right? But we had this daughter who finished up a semester with fantastic grades. We were crazy proud of her. And we liked to go out for lunch anyway. So in the middle of being busy, 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 we all took each other out to lunch. The India Palace Lunch Buffet. A favorite. And we know we're there to celebrate. And we must look like it. Because as we head over to the buffet, the owner of the restaurant comes up to us and gives us each a piece of fried bread. He's got three in his hand. And one goes on each of our plates. And yay, more celebration. Celebration, right? Well, we sit down at the table we're shown, and suddenly, for me, there's a memory. This is a restaurant we come to a lot, especially for occasions on which we're feeling especially celebratory. And I have a memory of another celebration here years ago. And I hesitate to share it because you know how sometimes you open your mouth to begin a story with, did I ever tell you about the time when? And the answer is, yeah, Dad, you have told us that about a million times. Well, I know that this memory is one of those. I'm sure that every time I come to this restaurant, I share this memory. So I spare my wife and our daughter for a minute, but there we are, munching away on chicken tikka masala and fresh naan. And well, I pipe up. You know, I say this restaurant, this table, even, brings back a memory for me of another celebration, a memory I like a lot. And my wife and our daughter look at me, not as if to say, geez, Dad, we've heard this story a bazillion times, but rather as if to say, go on. So I do. I tell them the story of how we had come here one year on my birthday, a day when I actually felt kind of down, getting older and the pressures of the world and all, but Hey, it was my birthday, so we come to our place, and as we sat down to celebrate, our daughter, who's now grown up but who was just a kid then, had filled a paper sack, like a lunch sack, with birthday presents for me. They were little plastic toys, mostly, like the kind you get as party favors. There was a little puzzle in which you move a plastic disc around in your hand to roll a trio of tiny steel balls into little holes in a piece of cardboard with a cat painted on it. You know that kind of puzzle? And there was a little plastic ring with a big hard candy diamond on it. And there was a little deck of cards and a plastic horse and a little red plastic egg filled with silly putty. Ever get anything like that? Well, it made my day, made my day, and the things that little girl had put into that paper sack to celebrate my birthday. Oh. I shared that memory during our lunch over chicken tikka masala and fresh naan and a soda pop. And when I was done, both my wife and our daughter looked at me and said, Are you sure that was us? And then we all laughed. I had remembered that. In fact, it had been such a potent memory for me that I was sure I'd brought it up a million times. But as it turns out, they didn't remember it at all. It was a new story for them. And after I had told them about that birthday memory, our daughter turned to my wife and said, we're nicer than we give ourselves credit for. And we laughed again. My wife turned to me and said, we didn't remember that. Thanks for sharing it. It's a nice memory. 
Well, it is a nice memory. And now it's a nice memory for all of us. And maybe we'll talk about it again right away, and maybe we won't. But it makes me glad I was here, glad I opened my mouth. And in the meantime, there we were, working on another memory, enjoying a lunch together to celebrate the hard work of that little girl, now all grown up. And during a future lunch, celebrating something else, this one will probably come up. At least I hope it does. It's shaping up to be a nice one. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. Coming up, a story from Simon Brooks called The Goat from the Hills and the Mountains. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Stories come into our lives in so many ways, from families passing them along, telling to telling, from the pages of great books, from radio and podcasts, through songs, and of course, through the things we see on screen. And exploring all of the ways that great stories get into our hearts and minds is part of what we love here on the Appleseed. I'm joined in the studio today by Cole Wissinger. Cole, it's great to have you here with us. Hello, Sam. Cole is a longtime member of our BYU radio family, and people have heard him talking about movies. And we want to talk a little bit about movies. I think I can do that. (laughs) You've asked me the one thing that I think I can do. (laughs) And we invited you to come, you know, prepared with a, with a movie in your pocket. And this movie is kind of a trip in the way, way, way back machine, right? I mean, this is sure. before <laughs> any of us were born, but a movie that was important to you. And we're talking about what movie? Yeah, it's 1932's The Mummy. My, we're As Boris opposed Karloff, to right? 1999's The Mummy or 2016, 17's The Mummy. Right. Or... <laughs> this one is the original The no Mummy No Brendan Fraser, no Tom Cruise. Right. We're talking Boris Karloff. Man. The universal monsters. And right, so I, I'm a younger kid to this. And so it doesn't <laughs> take much to find a good movie that happened before I was born. But I can go way back on this. And this is the one where I really think that I have a good story behind why I like this. And then, of course, why I like horror movies in yeah, general. Today. Where did your affection for a 1932 mummy movie come from? Well, I'll tell you. I was four years old, and <laughs> my parents were watching Turner Classic movies as they often did. Yeah. I was just kind of there, and it was getting kind of late, and when you're four, you have a bedtime, generally speaking. Sure. But my parents uh, my parents weren't strict about it. They just – they kind of let me parent myself in a lot of ways. Like, ah, he'll figure it out. Like, when he gets tired, he'll come upstairs. I, I didn't get tired. So the movie that we were watching ended – and then the mummy with its like grandiose spooky theme in the background started coming on and they were like, oh, that's probably too scary. And I said, no, 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 please, please, please. Wow. Let me stay up and watch this. And they said, oh, sure. And they went upstairs and figured that I would be up in two shakes and yeah, yeah. be scared out of my mind. And have so wait a minute. Through. Let me get this straight. So your parents said, uh, he'll get scared in a minute and come to bed. Exactly. <laughs> that was their parenting strategy and I love them for it because yeah. – If they hadn't, I wouldn't have this story. Sure, sure. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it starts and and they kind of go upstairs and my dad falls asleep pretty fast. They didn't realize that I had stayed up 
and watched the entire thing. Oh, wow. And it had bled into, I think it was, you know, Bride of Frankenstein or, or one of their <laughs> Creature from the Black Lagoon. One of those other sure, universal monsters yeah. was coming on right after it. My dad wakes up because my mom woke him up and said, hey, go downstairs and check on that kid. See if he just fell asleep on the couch. Sam, I was two inches from the dang TV screen, just riveted <laughs> by eyed. these monsters. <laughs> and that was the beginning of kind of a long love affair with monster movies. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yes. So even today, my favorite genre is horror. My favorite month of the year is October because I go through the entire month and watch horror movies just every single day. But my favorite brand of the horror is still the monster, the monster and what movie. it means. And, and again, when I'm four, I wasn't thinking about like – why we're scared of monsters or why we dress up characters in these very obvious physical scary things sure. to symbolize yeah. the horrors within. Or I just knew the monsters were cool <laughs> and that I liked dressing up on Halloween and I liked all those things. Do you go back – I mean certainly one attitude that some people have is, well, those old movies were the doorway into the movies that I watch now. But the movies that I watch now are really scary when those old movies are just kind of schlocky or whatever. Yeah. You know? But as you look back, are there things about those old Boris Karloff performances? Are there things about the 1932 version of The Mummy that are still – affecting for you. Absolutely. You because it was more reliant on the acting, right? The yeah. next wave of kind of monster movies we got were in the 60s with the hammer horrors. And the only thing that they added was it was in color. And so now the blood is red. And <laughs> and at the time, that was enough to just scare people. But just a lot of red you know, blood. And then, of course, like, like we've kind of mentioned, the new Tom Cruise one, not scary at all. They just threw a bunch of CGI at the screen and yeah. made it into more of an action thing. Brendan Fraser was funny when he did his mummy. But like the original mummy, is the only one that still scares me because it was reliant on that interaction. And my favorite thing about those monsters is when they zoom in on the eyes, <laughs> especially when it's Dracula or sure. the shading and, and the way they had to arrange the lights. I can just... see the shots in my head right now. Those, And it is exactly as you describe. You know, you've got the, the band of light across mm -hmm. their eyes, you know, and everything else is all you can see is Bella Lugosi's eyes as exactly. Dracula or, or whoever you're watching. And it you draws know. you in and that's where you kind of get a more intimate scare than when there's just, you know, bright red blood splashing around or CGI planes crashing or whatever it is. <laughs> These days, you can watch just about anything. You know, oh, it's beautiful. It, there, there were days, of course, when you thought, boy, I'd like to see such and such a movie. And if it wasn't available at Blockbuster, you know. Or, I got very or, lucky that night in 1996 when yeah. it just happened to be on happened Turner Classic on Movies. TV. Yeah. And these days, these things are just sort of readily available wherever you, you know, wherever you happen to be. Yep. And my wife and I found ourselves watching the the old Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Absolutely. <laughs> One of my personal favorites because you get all those mashups that they were doing with the Universal, uh, but you, you know, toss in a bit of who's on first for good That's measure. That's right. That, and it's the old, it's the guys. Boris Karloff isn't in it, but Bella Lugosi is. And I mean, it's the- it's The Dragon those... Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah. 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 It's incredible. Well, listen, if you haven't seen some of those old- Universal monster movies, right? Mm -hmm. The Mummy and Dracula and Frankenstein's Monster with Boris Karloff. And those are worth digging up. You will have a better time than you think you will. My grandparents grew up with them and I ended up growing up with them too. And I will I forever imagine four-year-old Cole in front of the TV when his parents have said, uh, he'll scare himself and come to bed in a moment. What a great story. Not so much. It worked out for me.
<laughs> well, what a pleasure to have Cole Wissinger with us to chat just a little bit about The Mummy, the 1932 classic. If you want to dig up that, we highly recommend it. These are great times for you to share some of those stories with the people that you love. Cole, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Lots more coming up on The Appleseed. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, and it's always a pleasure to chat with Cole about some of his movie memories. Stick around. Simon Brooks coming up with The Goat from the Hills and the Mountains. You won't want to miss it. I'm Sam Bain. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, a conversation with Cole Wissinger about The Mummy and an entry in the Radio Family Journal, too. Up next, a story from Simon Brooks. This story is about a goat. Now, we all know that goats like to eat just about anything. So if you find a goat chowing down in your garden, you know, it's not good, especially if you're a farmer, because he's going to eat till it's all gone. And just such a situation is what Simon describes here. No matter how hard the farmer tries, he can't get rid of the goat. It isn't until something much smaller comes along that the goat finally leaves. Here's The Goat from the Hills and the Mountains by Simon Brooks. There was once a man tall and handsome, who met a a woman, beautiful and elegant, and they fell in love with each other. They were so in love they got married, and about nine months later they had a baby girl, and the baby girl grew up to be the most gorgeous daughter you could ever imagine. They lived together in a beautiful cottage a cottage that was surrounded by many different plants. There were rose bushes and hyacinths, there were daisies and daffodils, tulips, tiger lilies, jasmine plants. There were so many plants, the place was was like an artist's palette of colour. Their pride and joy, however, was the vegetable garden and the herb garden. In the garden they grew potatoes, they grew asparagus, they grew many kinds of lettuce, they grew pepper plants. They had the big fat bell peppers, the little tiny jalapeno peppers and the habanero peppers. Mm. They, they grew broccoli, they grew tomatoes, the big beefsteak tomatoes, the, the plum tomatoes and also the little cherry tomatoes that were just like grapes that you could pop in your mouth. Mm. And, of course, next to the the tomatoes was the basil. And next to the basil was the rosemary, thyme, oregano and sage. And the sage would glisten in the moonlight when the moon was full. One day, when Mother was cutting up the vegetables for supper that night, she said to her daughter, Would you please go and get some rosemary for me and and a a bit of garlic as well, please? And she gave her daughter some scissors and off she went, skipping into the garden. And to her surprise, there, in amongst the vegetables, was a huge goat. Eating the vegetables. She walked up to the goat and said, Shoo! Shoo! Get away from here! Stop eating our vegetables! Hey! What do you think you're doing, huh? Do you know who I am? No, said the little girl. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. 
And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. <laughs> Mommy! The little girl ran as fast as she could back to the house. Mommy, 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 there's a big, great, scary goat out in the garden. It's eating herbs and vegetables. And then it said, Rarity turned around and said to me that it was going to eat me up. Mummy, I'm scared. Oh, don't worry, dear, don't worry, dear. I'll go and sort the goat out. A mother took a broom and went out into the garden. She took the broom and raised it above the goat as if to strike it. Hey, what do you think you're doing, huh? Do you know who I am? Uh, no, I, I, no, no, I don't. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and vegetables, I shall eat the little girl. And when I have finished eating the little girl, I shall eat you, too. <laughs> and the mother ran back towards the house. Oh, oh, husband dear, husband, husband, husband dear! What, what, what is it, my darling, what is it? There's a great big hairy goat out there, a great big scary goat. Its beard almost goes down to the ground. Its, its horns are like knives. And it's, it's eating our herbs and vegetables, and it's threatening to eat our daughter, and now it's threatening to eat me. Well, that's all right, sweetie pie, I'll, I'll go and sort it out. And so the husband took a great stick and made his way out into the garden. Um, now see here, goat. Um, you can't be eating our herbs and vegetables. Hey, what are you doing, huh? Do you know who I am? Um, no, I can't say I've had the pleasure of your acquaintance, no. <laughs> I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, I shall eat a little girl. And when I have finished eating her, I shall eat the mother, your wife. And when I have finished eating her, I shall eat you, too. <laughs> what, what do you mean? And with that, the goat shook its horns like knives glistening in the sun. And the husband... <laughs> he ran back to the house too. Well, I'm awfully sorry, dear. I, 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 it is a very mean goat. I did try to get rid of it, but... Um, 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 well, I'm not quite sure about it. It's got shifty little eyes, too. As it happens, a soldier was walking by and had seen everything that was going on. Um, excuse me, um, 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 I happen to see what's going on. You're having a bit of trouble with that goat. Oh, yes, we are, actually. We're having awful trouble with this goat. It, it's eating our herbs and vegetables. It's threatened to eat all three of us. We can't seem to get rid of it. Well, I'm a soldier, see. I'll sort the goat out for you. Oh, oh you do that for me? <laughs> that would be absolutely marvellous. Thanks awfully. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, good luck. I don't need luck. I'm a soldier. I'll be all right. And the soldier made his way towards the goat. Now, listen here, goat. I'm a soldier. I'm big and burly and brave. I've fought in many wars and battles. Won most of them. Lost a few. But I'm going to tell you to get away from here. Leave these poor people alone. Hey! You know who I am? No, and I don't care. Hey, I... I'm the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and vegetables, I shall eat the little girl. And when I have finished eating her, I will eat the mother. And when I have finished eating her, I shall eat the father. And when I have finished eating him, I shall eat you. Two. Now get you gone. <laughs> and once more, the goat waved its hand. And frighten the soldier away. I'm awfully sorry. I'll try to get rid of the goat, but it's like you say. It's a mean goat. Excuse me, said the tiny little voice. Who said that? I'm down here. They looked amongst the rose bushes, and there on one of the petals was a tiny little ant. Excuse me. Um, I could get rid of the goat for you if you like. You? 
You're just a tiny little ant. How are you going to get rid of a goat? I'm a big burly soldier and I couldn't get rid of it. How are you, a teeny tiny tiddly little, little ant? Get rid of a goat like that. Well, I could pick you up and squeeze you between my fingers and there'd be nothing left of you. Well, I was going to do it for nothing, but seeing as you've been so rude and mean, I want payment now. Oh, thank you very much, Mr. Soldier. Th- thank you very much for your help. I- we'll take it from here. And the soldier left, scowling, stomping off down the lane. Now, now, Ant, you said you can get rid of it? Yes, I can get rid of that goat for you. Um, but I, I do want payment now after that soldier was so mean and, and rude to me. Well, of course we'll give you payment. Uh, anything you like, if you can get rid of the goat. I can get rid of the goat, said the ant. And the ant scurried down the rose bush, across the lawn, and made its way towards the goat. Without the goat realising, it climbed up its back leg until it got onto its rump and it very carefully parted the hairs of the back of the goat, and then bit down. Crunch! What's going on back there? Back it in back there! What's going on, man? The ant bit again and again. And the goat bucked and bucked and bounced and bounced and leapt over the hills and over the mountains. And the ant made his way back across the lawn, up the rose bush, and sat on one of the petals. Um, I got rid of the goat for you. You most certainly did, said Mother. Um, um, what can I get you? Could I get you a couple of sacks of grain? Oh, oh, no, 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 two sacks of grain is way too much. I'm just a little tiny ant. Well, how about one sack then? Well, one sack would, it's still way too much. I, I, I'm just a tiny little ant. I don't need a whole sack of grain. Well, what about half a sack of grain? Half a sack would even squash me. No, 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 no. Well, what would you like then? Um, just two grains would be fine. Thank you very much. Just two grains? Yes, please. Okay, then. And so Mother went inside the house and came back with two grains of wheat. She put one of the grains in the ant's legs, but it couldn't carry the second grain, so the daughter carried the second grain back to the ant's house. But whether the ant ever made bread from that grain, I really don't know. Simon Brooks with the goat from the hills and the mountains. Simon sounds like he's from across the pond in the UK, and he is. But he now lives in New London. New London, New Hampshire is the place that Simon Brooks calls home. We're going to wrap up today with a story from Diane Ferlat. This is a story called The Talking Eggs, and it's really a version of the Cinderella story. As usual, a young lady whose father has died is now almost enslaved by the usual compliment of stepmothers and stepsisters. Instead of marrying a fancy prince, however, she finds a friendly old woman who has some magic up her sleeve to help out. Here's the talking eggs, as told by Diane Ferlat with her musical accompanist, Eric Pearson. A pleasure for us to bring the talking eggs to you here on The Appleseed. Things happen to us every day. But you know, it's how we react and the choices we make that make the difference. See who made the better choices in this little story. There once lived a woman 
and she had two daughters. One name, Rose, and the other name, Blanche. And they lived on a poor, poor, poor little farm. Why, they were so poor, the chickens, they didn't even cluck. And the poor cows, instead of mooing, they were booing. It was a sad little farm. But this mother, she liked Rose the best. Do you know why? Because she was just like her, mean and wicked and rude. While Blanche, who was as sweet as honey, was given all the work to do. While her mother and sister sat on the porch, fanning themselves, saying, Ah, someday we're going to live in the big city like fine, rich ladies. But one day, the mother said to Blanche, Blanche, go down to the well and get some water and don't take all day. Yes, ma'am. Blanche got the bucket and headed down to the well. But when she got to the well, who did she see but an old, old, old woman with a black raggedy shawl hanging over her face? And she said to Blanche, Child, would you please give me a sip of water? I'm so thirsty. Oh, for sure, for sure. Blanche got the bucket and gave it a good rinse and gave her a nice, fresh drink. Oh, thank you, child. God will bless you. God will bless you. And Blanche watched as the old woman disappeared into the woods. When Blanche got home with the bucket of water, who was standing on the porch but that mean old mother and sister? And the mother said, Where were you? And Rose said, Yeah, the water's probably warm by now. And she kicked the bucket over. And all the water spilled on the porch. And they were laughing at her and calling her names. You stupid old thing. You silly old thing. Go get more water. Don't take all day. (laughs) Blanche took out the front door running as fast as she could go. She didn't know where she was running to. But she knew she didn't want to go back. But as she was running, who did she run into? But the old woman. And the old woman said, Child, child, why are you crying so? Because my mother and my sister, (laughs) they're always giving me all the work to do, and I don't want to go back because... Hush, child. You can come home with me, and I'll give you a bed and some supper. But you must not laugh at anything you see, you promise? And Blanche said, I promise. Well, come along, child, come along. And Blanche followed her down this narrow, narrow path with these tall, tall trees on both sides to a big, thorn bush. Ooh, it was thorns and stickers and vines. And just as they came to that thorn bush, it opened in front of them and closed behind them. And Blanche thought, oh no. Don't be frightened, child. Come along. Come along. 
and Blanche followed her all the way down to the old woman's tumble-down little shack. And behind the fence, Blanche saw a two-headed cow and all these different chickens, different colors of the rainbow. It was the funniest thing she ever... But she promised not to laugh. And when they got inside the house, the old woman said, Child, child, would you stack the firewood and build the fire so we can cook some supper? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Blanche went to stack the firewood. And the old woman walked over to her favorite chair right next to the fireplace. And she sat her old tired bones down. Blanche looked up. She saw the old woman lifting off her head and putting it in her lap. And Blanche watched as the old woman combed her hair and braided it. Then she picked up her head and put it on her shoulder. And she got up from her chair, walked over to the mirror, and she said, Oh, that's better. Much better. And then she said, Child, take this bone and put it in the pot for supper. Blanche said, Just a bone? Yes, ma'am. She put it in the pot. The pot was full of nice hot stew. Oh, child. Now, now take this grain of rice and put this in the pot for supper. Just one little grain of rice? Yes, ma'am. She put it in the pot. (gasps) The pot was full of nice hot rice. Well, that night they had a wonderful meal. They ate and ate and ate and ate. And when they were finished, they both fell fast. Uh. But uh, the next morning, the old woman said, Child, child, would you go and milk the cow and get some fresh milk for breakfast? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Blanche got the bucket and she went outside. But when she saw that two-headed cow, she wanted to laugh. But she didn't. And when she finished milking that cow, she took the bucket of milk inside. And when she got inside, She had the best breakfast she had had in a long time. Oh, bacon, eggs, biscuits. And that cow gave the sweetest milk you ever tasted. Tasted like a milkshake. And when they finished, the old woman said, Child, it's time for you to go home. But you've been such a good girl. I'm going to give you a present. Now you go to the chicken house and you'll see some eggs. The ones that say, don't take me. Don't take those. The ones that say, take me, take me. Take those. And just before you get home, honey, you throw the eggs over your left shoulder and you'll have a wonderful surprise. And Blanche thought, surprise? Oh, thank you, thank you. Blanche ran to the chicken house, and when she got inside, gold, 
Silver! Don't take me! Oh, the plain egg said, Take me, take me! But Blanche wanted those gold and silver eggs. But she did as she was told. She took the plain eggs and headed on home. But just before she got home, she threw the eggs over her left shoulder. And what a wonderful surprise! Gold, silver, satin shoes, silk dresses, and a beautiful golden carriage she rode home in. And when she got home, who was waiting on the porch but that mean old mother and sister? And when the mother saw her coming in that golden carriage, she said, Blanche, oh, my sweet Blanche. Oh, mother missed you so, darling. I was so worried. Come on, sweetheart. Come on the porch. Sit next to mother. Come on, darling. Get up, Rose. Come on, sweetheart. Now sit down next to mother. Now, darling, tell mother. Where did you get all these beautiful things? And Blanche told her about the old woman and the talking eggs. And that night, soon as Blanche was asleep, she couldn't wait. She tiptoed into Rose's room. Rose, Rose, wake up. And Rose said, find that old woman and those talking eggs for yourself. And when you come back, I'll get rid of Blanche. And we're going to live in the big city like fine, rich ladies. Hurry, Rose. Hurry. Rose jumped up, got dressed out the door to go and look for the old woman. She hadn't gone far. When she saw her, she saw her standing near a tree. And Rose said, Old woman, My sister said you have a beautiful house. I'd sure like to see it. All right then, child. Come along, come along. But you must not laugh at anything you see, you promise? And Rose, crossing her fingers behind her back, she said, I promise. Well, come along, child, come along. And Rose followed her down that narrow, narrow path with those tall trees on both sides to that big thorn bush with all those thorns and stickers and mines. And just as they came to that thorn bush, it opened in front of them and closed behind them. And Rose thought, "Uh uh-oh. Don't be frightened, child. Come along, come along. And Rose followed her to the old woman's tumble-down little shack And behind the fence, Rose saw a two-headed cow and all these chickens different colors of the rainbow. It was the funniest thing she ever... (laughs) 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 And when she got inside the house, she complained about making a fire. And there was smoke everywhere. (coughs) Oh, child. (coughs) Take this bone (coughs) and put it in the pot for supper. Rose said, Bone? It sure is a skimpy supper. And she threw it in the pot. 
and nothing happened. Oh, child, <coughs> take this grain of rice and put this in the pot for supper. Grain of rice? This wouldn't feed a flea. She threw it in the pot and nothing happened. Well, that night Rose went to bed hungry. But early the next morning, the old woman said, Child, child, would you go and milk the cow and get some fresh milk for breakfast? And Rose said, Child, would you go and milk the cow and get... All right. Rose got the bucket. She went outside. But when she saw that two-headed cow... <laughs> Ooh. The cow gave nothing but bloody milk. Ooh. Rose took the bucket of milk inside. And when she got inside... off her head and putting it in her lap. But Rose, very carefully, very quietly, went right behind that old woman and grabbed her head. <laughs> and she said, now, you give me presents like you gave my sister or you won't get your big old head back. Oh, what an awful child. Well, you go to the chicken house and you'll see some eggs. The ones that say, don't take me, don't take those. The ones that say, take me, take me, take those. And just before you get home, throw the eggs over your left shoulder. You have a wonderful surprise. And Rose thought, surprise? She threw back her big old head and headed for the chicken house. Oh boy, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And when she got inside, yes, go. Silver, don't take me. Huh. The plain egg said, take me, take me. Rose said, I'm no fool. I'm taking the gold and silver eggs. And she loaded up and then headed for home. Gold, silver, wait till mother sees this. And just before she get home, she threw the eggs over her right shoulder. And what a wonderful surprise. Frogs, toads, lizards, snakes, <laughs> and a big gray wolf, which chased her through the woods. <laughs> and there she was, running as fast as she could go. I mean, she was going so fast, you could barely see her little legs going. She went all the way around the woods, and when she got near her house, her mother saw all these things chasing her. She grabbed the broom and tried to help. Did no good chased her too ah! and there they were the two of them running as fast as they could go they went over the bridge they went round the woods ten times and when they finally got home that night ooh, you should have seen them they were covered in mud they were all stung up and they were bitten and they were hungry and they were tired and the mother, she said, Blanche, Blanche, go get some water. Blanche, oh, Blanche. They found Blanche was gone. Gone to live in the big city like a fine, rich lady. But she still was as sweet and as kind and as respectful as always. But that mama... And Rose, 
They are still trying to find that old woman and those talking eggs for themselves. But I heard they never did find that place again. The Talking Eggs here on the Appleseed. Told for you by Diane Ferlat, accompanied by Eric Pearson. That's a musical and storytelling duo that's one of our favorites. A pleasure also to bring you stories from Pete Griffin, who told about learning to talk like wolves, and a story from Sid Lieberman, talked about delivering packages to Israel, an entry in the Radio Family Journal, a conversation with Cole Wissinger about the mummy, and uh, that story from uh, Simon Brooks, the goat from the hills and the mountains. Always a pleasure to bring these tales to you. Visit us online, won't you? At BYUradio.org slash Appleseed or Google the Appleseed podcast and you'll find uh, little mini episodes of the show just a few minutes long in case you have just a few minutes and want to fill those few minutes with a great story. You'll be able to hear how the beggar boy married the chief's daughter, a story told for you by Antonio Josha if you visit the podcast and all kinds of other things as well. I'm Sam Payne. This hour was written by Trent Horton. Our audio engineer is Carly Robison, our producer, Jeff Simpson. And I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.